Welcome to episode 134 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boy, ready to talk some wrestling tonight. Yes, folks, it's summer. Everybody's got things to do. We're traveling. We're uh, catching up. We're coming back. You know, there's just a lot going on. So the full crew of Keep the Kayfabe, it's been hard for us to get together, but luckily, just like the WWE, the members on this show are interchangeable and can have perfect chemistry week after week. So before we get into a special episode of High Spots, Volume 2, Rivalries, let's introduce who we're talking with tonight. He likes to keep it regal, and he is in mint condition. Steve Gropeschmidt. What up, Grabby? Let me tell you something, Mike. What I'm seeing this week is we don't have dead weight. We have the elites because, I mean, underwear model gig, um, American Idol, uh, whatever the hell else Mike Matt's doing. I mean, those jabronis. I mean, I guess, you know, we could take one week where people aren't holding our job straps for us. So um, uh-huh. this is truly going to be a liberating episode because the, the dead weight's gone. And we're introducing to the Keep the Kayfabe crowd, the Golden Lovers, <laughs> Mike and Steve. Fucking A. <laughs> Absolutely. And why not us, right? Right. Yeah, you and Matt have been best friends for a long time since the uh, since the show started, basically. And we know you and Gary's history. So, I mean... We are just creatures of the night as the golden lovers behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain. It's me and Steve Grobeshit tonight. Did I say Grobeshit? <laughs> Schmidt. It's all right. We're still Grobe the golden Schmidt. lovers. Yeah, baby. See, it don't matter. It doesn't um, matter. Yeah, we are going to be doing rivalries after our first episode of High Spots that happened with me and Matt. We were just two guys kind of shooting it around. We're in the same age group, so we kind of, you know, we were kind of marking out at some of the same stuff. But this is going to be great because we kind of have two decades of disparity of fandom when it comes to wrestling. So there's uh, rivalries that come to mind for me. But Steve, who is an amazing student of the game, a Rhodes Scholar, if you would, of pro wrestling, he really knows his shit. So I'm ready to learn some stuff. So we're going to talk about the greatest rivalries in the business of wrestling. So, Steve, since this is your first high spots, why don't we put you up on the top rope and lead us off with a great rivalry that comes to mind? Well, I'm prepared to do that, but I'm going to take 30 seconds to just call out the loss of a great wrestler today. Um, I don't know mm. if you heard, but the legend known as the Mantar passed away. Mike Halleck, if you remember from the 90s, one of the perhaps yeah worst wwe gimmicks of all time a dude that came out with a giant uh minotaur yes. head on his head dude um, it was i remember that and it was that was so super bad. messed up 
Yeah. Was, I mean, from a really young kid, I think, uh, what, I was six? It was the mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like six or seven, I want to say. Maybe eight. But I saw that, and I was just like, what the fuck is this? You remember that movie um, Gladiator? Awesome flick with Russell Crowe. Actually, yes. a big listener of the show. Let's... I think um, we used to shout him out quite a bit. Russell Crowe, yeah, yeah. Great show. One of, or one, of, one of the best movies, I think. Yeah, when his character was fighting in that scrubby gladiator arena, and he yeah. was picking off those like shitty gladiators. Like yep. You remember like that 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 character that had like an actual dead animal over yes. his head. That's what it looked like. Yeah. But it was exactly. before the gladiator. It was ahead of its time. The Mantar was ahead <laughs> of his time. So uh, yeah, Mike Halleck passed away in his, I think, fifth, early fifties. So. Fuck. You know, though, I said this to a group of friends of mine today, really one of the dorkiest gimmicks, but yet 30 years or whatever, 20 some 30 years later, like all of us remember it. So it's like there's something to be said for that. The dude had like the dumbest thing, but like mm-hmm. I don't think any of us that saw it will ever forget it. So, hey, that counts Definitely. for something. But yeah, we we're get... not here to talk about that, are we? No, but yeah. Shout out to the Mantar. Rest in peace. Another legend falls by the wayside and uh, hope his family are doing all right. But let's move forward with rivalries. Greatest in wrestling business. Steve. What do you want to yeah. kick us off with tonight? So uh, as we've established, uh, you know, I'm the the elder statesman of the, the two of us. I, I'm a year short of uh, 50 years old, so uh, which is kind of shocking when I say that. But uh, yeah, so I mean, my wrestling, I've talked about this before. My wrestling fandom started somewhere in the, that I can remember, somewhere in the early 80s. Um, I do remember kind of getting into WWF, right, as Hogan was kind of on his rise. So like, I mean... Some of the earliest feuds that I remember that stuck with me were just, you know, when they'd serve him up the the, the villains that he would knock down, like the Heenan family, um, mm-hmm. you know, guys like King Kong Bundy, um, Paul Orndorff. Those are pretty good feuds. But I think the earliest feud that kind of just captured me, and it's, you know, it's one that anybody my age that watched wrestling will remember, but somewhere around the time that Hogan, I got bored with Hogan, like, after he started beating everybody and I started, that's when I got my love for the villains, the heels. Um, and probably Macho Man is like the first heel that I really was like my favorite at the time when he was on that kind of early run as IC champ and his feud with Steamboat, which, I mean, we mm. all know that's like one of the all time greats, but that was a great mm. feud, you know, when he like went off the top rope with the bell and crushed his larynx, which uh, right. Gorilla Monsoon called, which isn't a real body part. Um <laughs> And it was a good, yeah, it was a good feud. It culminated in one of the all-time greatest matches. Um, kind of like a lot of great feuds. It didn't like you know, it's not like they really had a follow-up after that. They had the great match, and then they they kind of moved on. But uh, so I mean, that's I just bring that one up because that's like one of the earliest ones that has like really cemented my wrestling fandom. Well, um, and they made it so believable when with his collapsed larynx or whatever uh, Gorilla referred to it as. Like people really like bought into that i remember weren't they like writing letters like checking up on them like calling oh yeah like hospitals and yeah because you didn't like have that. the you didn't have the melters online like kind of telling you everything <laughs> and that wasn't that wasn't an actual dig dave so don't get upset don't call in um but you know you weren't online back then dave and uh so people didn't know i mean and you know like kind of looked like a real segment so um yeah that was like that, that was intense 
Well, um, in the greatest match that you were talking about was the one at WrestleMania, correct? Three. Yep. Yep. That was such a huge WrestleMania. And I want to say we reviewed that. Uh, yeah. Kayfabe. We got a fan request that wanted us to watch a pay-per-view and then uh, run down the card and give our thoughts. And uh, that was really fun. So anybody listening out there that want to give us um, a suggestion on a, of what pay-per-view to maybe cover or a generation or a topic, please shoot us a note on our DMs at Keep the Kayfabe on Facebook and Instagram or Keep the Kayfabe 414 at gmail.com. But uh, yeah, Steamboat is a badass. He's still in oh, great yeah. shape. Oh, he's I still know. doing all right. I mean, he does public appearances. He's looking in great shapes. Well-spoken. He was one yeah. of the best. Dude was fucking cut. And he was always and a baby face. Never, never a heel. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they even dabbled with it. You know, even guys like Sting, I feel like at one point they tried briefly to make him a heel. It didn't work. But Steamboat, mm-hmm. I don't think they ever even tried. I feel like didn't they model like, you know, that game Street Fighter, like after like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat? Yeah. Or like, even Mortal was, Kombat. Who is that? Luke Kang? Like the Luke big Kang. guy. He, he kind of had a look like him. Yeah. Would you, I mean, what is his ethnicity? I want to say it, without looking it up, but I am going to look it up as I'm talking here. But I feel like if anything, it might be, he might have a Hawaiian descent. Right. Uh, I'm looking. So, but I, I think, I think he, yeah. I mean, that's trailblazing because, I mean, when we think about, you know, the territories and all that stuff, there wasn't like people that really looked like him. I mean, it looks like just, you know, normal roughnecks, uh, predominantly white. Uh, there, I mean, there's some African-American he, wrestlers yeah, he, back he then, was but part English, part Japanese American. So I guess yeah, I got that so, wrong. But yeah, but yeah, he was there wasn't part, many yeah. stars in America right. with Asian descent, kind of like what we're seeing in the NHL right now, like Jason Robertson, like no, nobody's talking enough about this guy and what he's accomplishing. I always compare wrestling to hockey because I both love them. But anyway, it's like this is where you kind of really take notice, too. So he really got it done. Didn't he uh, train with Ric Flair, too, in Minnesota? Well, yeah, and his, you know, probably, you know, Ric Flair has said that his greatest opponent of all time was Ricky Steamboat, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're the ones that had, like, the big marathon matches for, like, an hour. They wrestled literally hundreds and hundreds of times around the country. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, he's, you know, Macho Man, Macho Man's best fight, uh, Ric Flair's greatest opponent. I mean, that's, that's pretty exclusive company there. Um, I also think it's funny. His real name is Richard Blood, which is like the like like that would be like the best heel name ever. Yeah, for real. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yeah, Ugh, it just fit. It just fits yeah. so well. No, right. so I mean that's one that really came to. Yeah, it's like I know it's almost cliched because everybody remembers that match, but I mean well, I'm just talking personally here. That's like that's that. Those are the things that kind of cemented my early fandom of the WWF. Totally. And we'd be remiss if if we didn't mention it, because, I mean, we're going to do a series on, you know, the greatest rivalries, in our opinion, if we don't say it. I mean, fans are going to get pissed. It's going to be pandemonium. So, I mean, we're just giving the people what they want, right? Exactly. You got to give the people what they want, um, even if you're the golden lovers. Well, (laughs) indeed. And if you're talking about giving the people what they want, um, this was a rivalry before my time so maybe you can provide more insight but it really did fascinate me um this is actually the rivalry that sparked dark side of the ring they just wanted to the producers of that show just wanted to do 
uh, documentary on this individual wrestler. And then they just, you know, kind of kept going. So if this rivalry didn't exist, then maybe we wouldn't have Dark Side of the Ring, the great show that it is that's airing right now on Vice. Tune in. Um, But it's Bruiser Brody and Abdullah the Butcher. That rivalry, uh, they went around the territories and literally carved deep holes into each other's faces on a nightly basis. Oh, my God. Got to be a sick puppy to do this. And they were. Do you recall, like, hearing about this, Steve? Or, I mean, I don't think you've ever seen it live in person, but, I mean, I know you're reading the magazines and stuff. How much buzz was this getting back then, would you say? I'm glad you brought that up because it's like I didn't watch. the. You know, I pretty much grew up watching AWA and then exclusively WWF until the nineties. And then I started watching NWA WCW as well. But, uh, so I, but you know, growing up with Gary, I know he'd get like magazines all the time and stuff. And we'd look at them. And I remember reading often about Abdullah and, mm-hmm. and, um, and it was in Brody. Brody and it was just, uh, yeah, I just remember it's like, it almost took on this mystique cause you didn't see it every week. And right. it was like, Holy cow. It almost seemed like this like back alley wrestling because you'd see these pictures in the magazines of the wow. just covered in blood. And then even back then, and certainly now I think he's still alive. He's got like these, like mm-hmm. these, like, um, grooves in his forehead, like yeah. far more than any, you know, there a lot of old wrestlers have like dusty yeah like they like dusty had that scar tissue but not like where it looked like somebody like drug a fork through several inches deep i mean it was just his forehead looks like ground beef and exactly uh, these dudes would literally trot around the arenas you have people scared shitless like Brody yeah. even went on to say like i would just turn into this different person and then like literally try to scare like pick people out and try to scare them as much as I possibly can. And I fed off of it and they would just go around the whole arena doing that. I mean, the ring was <laughs> very much secondary in these guys uh, performance too. Cause I mean, it was, it was a performance. Like it was this hardcore performance that they would come out and do. And people paid money to see it all over the world. And, um, but this happened mostly in Memphis, wrestling right or tennessee or smoky mountain or panna they kind of went around the world but yeah but um and it's funny it's like for those of you that are younger or just didn't watch until later you know ecw has a reputation of being hardcore or some of the stuff we see now like what is it like what's the nick gage and those guys but you Mm -hmm. think this was stuff going on in the 80s that was like as violent as anything you've seen since and it's like Mm -hmm. um you kind of, some, I don't know, somebody might think like, oh, back then it wasn't as violent, but man, that stuff was vicious. Totally. Or like when we talked, Gary and I talked about the, um, or you, you guys ran on that, right? The Sheep Herders episode, or we did like the, the Bushwhackers too. I, right. I don't remember if all four they of us were pretty did that, hardcore. But, but like that was some like ahead of its time violence. But uh, yeah, Abdullah wow. is sort of like the the patron saint of just gore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not really into it, but I'm not either. There's genres of wrestling, just like there are music and hardcore is that thing. And there is a niche and there is a market. And, you know, just like music, you got to have that variety. And it's a beautiful thing that there that it exists, even though it's freaking disgusting in my eyes to others. It's freaking art. So it's very true. Thought I would bring that one up. Oh, for sure. And um, 
do you have anything that plays off of that pretty well, Steve? A rivalry that you want to bring up? I was going to bring up something else, but you segued. So, I mean, like you've set me up for a segue there on like a violence type thing. Now, not mm-hmm. to that level, but, you know, a match that sticks out for me when I started watching um, WCW more often, like I, like I said, I grew up watching WWF, but then at some point in the late 80s, I was like also watching WW or WCW NWA and a feud that sticks out to me because of how it ended was um flair and terry funk and i think that the blow off was like an 89 but it was like this timing where if i remember right ricky steamboat was the champ and he was in Mm -hmm. a feud with flair who was the you know the heel like he was you know like this like arrogant heel and then terry funk kind of was involved and i don't remember if he was the referee or he had some sort of involvement but he was also kind of a heel so they're like this is like sort of pairing with flair but then after flair won the title back um terry just viciously turned on him and then um it culminated in this feud that was kind of weird and it kind of made flair kind of like the baby face out of the two for a while and they had this i quit match that like just sticks out to me to this day because one i hadn't seen an i quit match before but it almost it was like that even you know in the late 80s i was you know in my well i don't i don't feel like doing math i was in my i was a teenager um but I knew wrestling wasn't real, but that match kind of caught me. Like, I just remember because it was so vicious and how Flair kept putting like uh funk and like f- finishing maneuvers, figure four and that. And then you're doing the microphone. Do you quit? And it was like, they kept saying, hell no, hell no. Yeah. And then, but it was just getting so violent. And like, f- Terry was just getting the shit kicked out of him. He was the bad guy, but I remember like feeling bad for him. And then finally at one point in the match, he's like, yes, yes, I quit. And it's like, it just, it like, it, it like hooked me in where it's like, oh my God, like I kind of felt bad for him, even though I shouldn't because they just told such a great story. And uh, Dude, I mean, that's just two legends right there going at it. I I think what you said about Terry Funk, like you almost feel bad for him. Nobody did that better than Terry Funk. Like every time I saw that guy wrestle, and get hurt i felt bad for him i'm like i felt guilty watching because he's doing it for entertainment but seriously nobody could make you feel like for like a person's like well-being like terry funk like the dude would literally abuse himself and he just keep coming and he always looks old so it's like getting an old guy just get the shit beat out of him well, what's funny is I was just reading something about it before to kind of refresh my memory of the highlights. And it's like 89. And they talked about Funk being the grizzled old veteran against <laughs> Flair. And it's like, dude, like that dude wrestled then like into the 2000s. And like, <laughs> yeah, he was in ECW. He came back in WWF as like Chainsaw Charlie and all this stuff. Yeah. Like that well, dude wrestled did, into his 70s. When did mankind get thrown off the cage in Pittsburgh by The Undertaker? What year was that? That was like 2003. Three, three or two? four, something like that. Let's something say, like yeah. that. Yeah. So what? Uh, I know we're not doing math tonight, but 15 years later, the grizzled veteran, and that's when he was still like had a couple yeah. more years left in the tank. So I know. So, but but you know, to your point though, I think part of it is like there's those guys that even when they're bad guys, you just can't help but love because I think like Terry Funk, even when he was a bad guy, was just charismatic as hell. And he did mm-hmm. crazy shit. And it's like, so, I mean, I think that was part of it. It's like, it's not like I really hated the guy. It's like, you kind of liked him. So when he was mm-hmm. getting through like all these brutality, you kind of felt for him, even though you're not supposed to. So that's yeah. why he's a legend. 
He was never my favorite wrestler, but you you would always feel for the guy. So I guess mission accomplished. Like the dude right. leaves a lasting impact. Um, yeah, good one there. And there's this dude that when I go out and sell candles, he always wears a wrestling shirt. He comes up. I see him every once in a while, but we talk wrestling. And I was and he said his favorite wrestler is the Funker. And he's got a baseball card in his wallet and it's signed by Terry Funk and Terry Funk calls it the Funker. So whenever I see I love him, it. yeah, give him a nice shout. So I don't know. Love chatting wrestling just out in the wild randomly. Least expected. I love it, too. Like back when Bobby Eaton, beautiful Bobby Eaton passed away a few years ago. They mm-hmm. had this thing where they made a T-shirt. Basically, all the proceeds go to his family. So oh, yeah, I bought that's it. Right. I bought it. And I remember I wore it one day, just a random day. And I was at Ace Hardware here in uh here in uh, scenic Glendale, Wisconsin, and this dude working there was like, "Oh my god!" And we like proceeded to talk my ear off for like ten minutes about Bobby Eaton, and it's <laughs> wow. like that's that's pro wrestling for you right there. Oh, I love it. Nothing better. Yeah, I love it big time. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I brought up a little attitude era, and there really was nothing better than this rivalry, and it was basically the rivalry that got everybody stirred up. This is. Between the NWO and WCW going at it, and then these two going at it, I mean, nobody was watching anything else other than pro wrestling back then. When 50 million people are, like, tuning in to, like, watch pro wrestling? Like, what? And uh, a large part of it was Stone Cold Steve Austin going up against Vince McMahon, his boss, living out every man's dream that's ever had any animosity towards authority in his job. You could just live it out watching the Texas rattlesnake literally beat the shit out of his boss, Vince, Vin, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Pretty crazy. Yep. I know oh, you yeah. didn't watch a lot of um, Attitude Era back then, though, Steve. But um, well, I think I it's a test. It. It's a testament to that feud and that era that even though I was sort of solidly WCW in that whole Monday Night War. They hooked me a little bit where I tuned, I'd fl- I'd tune in when like you know, during that feud because, and I'll, I mean, obviously, like most of most of us, nobody will ever forget that like hospital with the freaking bedpan and oh, like, man. I mean, it was yeah. just like it was can't miss TV and like you said, and you think about it now, rest the landscape of TV has changed. It's like it's apples and 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 rutabaga like to compare, but um, yeah, to think that in two thousand or like ninety late nineties head-to-head wrestling shows were getting that much viewership and it's like what like four or five million or whatever and then you think like now like they're happy with like one two million and it's like back then there was eight million ten million between two competitive i mean yeah what a high point i mean it's just crazy that'll never happen again but no no, that feud is like the sort of the the blueprint for like one of the all-time great feuds because you said it perfect it's like I think what everybody could relate to the evil boss and like, you know, like I, I don't, I don't remember who my work situation at the time, but Lord knows I've had bosses that I couldn't stand. <laughs> and, you know, you and P, me and me, you and me aren't, are, aren't people of violence because we're, we're lovers. But um, I think y'all, you know, we've all dreamt of like, like putting a boss through a table that just made your life hell and like stone cold did that for us on tv so uh, oh yeah yeah he um he was the show it was the show like i was watching the documentary i think on uh the first wrestlemania just like how like 
Vince kind of went all in on that and it like it just had to work. But I mean, Vince's back was up against the wall against WCW and he had to do something right. to like save his company. Otherwise, he was going to lose all his wrestlers and he would lose. The dude refuses to lose. And this is when, you know, Vince is a different person now. But back then, all the stunts that were dangerous, Vince would do first to make sure oh, it'd yeah. be all right. Like when he, with the Shawn Michaels zipline thing, I know he wrote it first before he put Shawn up there, but the guy, like he, he really was a company guy and he put the company on his back and he, had, and as talented as stone cold was, Vince had to play up to that same talent level. Otherwise it wouldn't be believable. And stone cold wouldn't have looked as good as he did. So the fact that Vince was able to lay into it when he was in a place of actual authority and a boss and someone who was profiting as much as he could or or was and or maybe wasn't, I don't know the full story, but shit. Yeah. The dude leaned into it every single week for like years, it felt like. How long did that rivalry last? At least like two years, a year and a half. I mean, then they did some crazy stuff, like had him ally up for a while, which didn't work, but no, that went on for a while. And then, you know, they'd nostalgically bring it back every, you know, every decade since then, like, you know, have moments because it's, 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 it's an immortal (laughs) storyline. And nobody even cared that, like, if you literally did beat the shit out of your boss and, you know, made them humiliated them in an actual company, like a real place of business and work. He would be fired in a heartbeat. Oh, I know. But yet they, he was still employed for, after like spraying them with beer and, you know, giving them like a hundred stunners, hitting them with a bedpan. Fuck. Or, yeah. uh, no, Booker T, uh, was this, was the, um, the grocery store feud. But I think that, so. like, was like to piss off Vince, I remember. But yeah, yeah, just a menace to society. Stone Cold Steve Austin was, and that's why he's still one of the greatest well, today. And on the and Mount Con- Rushmore wrestling, in my opinion, Conrad Thompson recently said that um, Vince uh, Hulk Hogan made Vince a millionaire, but Stone Cold made him a billionaire. And I think yeah. you know those are the those are the number one and two of the the guys that made WWE what it is today. And uh, it was, yeah, Stone Cold. And But to your point earlier, as great as Stone Cold is, all-time great, one of the all-time yep. greats, it, he wouldn't probably be quite up that high if it wasn't for that feud. Well, yeah, and that's what an actual great rivalry is when yep. both sides have a case. Like, you can make a case for both. And yep. both are totally reliant on one another. So now, speaking of that, yeah, that probably goes perfectly with your rivalry that you have for us. Right, Steve? Well, it does, because it's that same era. And I wanted to bring up a rivalry that, you know, and this happens in wrestling. You have a rivalry that's so beautifully done, but then it kind of doesn't culminate the way you want. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit with AEW, like, you know, Wardlow and um, MJF, just as an example, like, what just an outstanding feud but then they didn't know what to do with it after but what i'm talking about from that era is uh going back to the nwo again but it's like hogan joins the nwo becomes this villain that you know 
after being the good guy for so long and then sting disappears comes back and they just dragged it out for months and months and months with sting showing up in the rafters beating up the nwo and this feud just took on like it's really one i mean that's what put wcw on number one was the in the anticipation so one of the all-time great feuds but then unfortunately they had their big match at starcade the blow off and it just didn't deliver and um it's funny you talk to eric or you listen to eric bischoff like there was some weird stories he's told on his podcast how like like sting just didn't come to that match in shape and he didn't look right so they kind of lost a little bit of confidence in him but yeah they did this brilliant patient storytelling and then the match is weird like uh bret hart came out as a guest referee and then um uh, Hogan was supposed to tap out, but kind of didn't. So it kind of, but they still, you know, awarded the match to Sting. So it was like, was that Hogan protesting or what? And then, I mean, what happened after that? Like, I don't even, I remember how Sting lost the title, but that, that title run he had from it was nothing special. But the feud was was epic. I mean, that whole NWO thing like turned mm-hmm. the tide of wrestling for like eighty three weeks. Well, and I mean, Sting's new look, how he looked like the crow. I mean, coming down from the rafters, so much was clicking. All right. Yeah, it was like it was just this fresh thing. And it was like it changed wrestling, too, because uh, I mean, obviously, Sting kept going under the name Sting. But it was the era where WCW was calling people by their real names. They were trying they were getting away from the cartoony stuff. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you wouldn't have Stone Cold and Vince that we just talked about if they hadn't been challenged by WCW to get better because um, Vince was on the ropes and he had to reinvent him the company um, mm-hmm. so that, you know, they, you didn't have the Mantars and the Duke to Trump dumpster drosies and all these corny characters from the nineties that almost did end up a WWE. All right. So that would actually segue to my next rivalry perfectly but i just want to ask you one question before we get over to that of course um did you ever see the movie the crow you know i did back then i don't i remember vaguely about it but i did i I saw it back then a long time ago okay so again i'm maybe what 11 years younger than you i think yeah if i'm 38 okay yeah so imagine if you were how whenever it came out just 11 years younger and you saw how brutal that movie was i mean it was pretty violent yeah it told a story there was a lot of weird shit in there that i just didn't like i knew existed but i didn't really understand it that much but because i watched that movie a bunch of time i got more familiar with it and like just how crazy the world can actually be like there was fucking stabbings in there heroin rape all kind killing lots of yeah. guns i mean the fucking main character died in that movie because of a loaded gun was supposed to be a stunt bullet pistol and the lead guy after probably landing this role like he was gonna be like the heath ledger like joker role yeah and uh like blow up but the guy's freaking dead and so that made the movie even more real i was like holy shit and then you dress up the guy that's supposed to go up against hollywood hulk hogan just like the guy from the movie during that time (laughs) i mean fine copy paste i don't give a shit they pulled it off and they put it on the right guy who wasn't gonna overdo it that's gonna be like oh i'm the 
you know, I'm the crow. Like Sting, like literally embodied it, and he made it great, and he still carries it to this day he's still, too. Yeah, so, he's tweaked it a little, but basically he's rode that gimmick into his 60s, where he's <sighs> if this is his last year, man, he's he's gone out, he's going out on a high, still playing that character. Yeah, and I mean, you can't look like Malibu, uh, Miami Vice, kind of like forever. Honestly, right. the face paint does him a favor for sure and the black because then you can just keep dyeing your hair black because it's like right. yo it's it's my costume like fuck you like nobody has to even know when you turned gray yeah, so he's nobody smart enough, he's smart enough that he wears t-shirts and stuff so he doesn't like show off like his exactly. like his, uh, his 60 year old arms and stuff exactly because then as long as you stay you know as tip top as you possibly can you can never root against you and right. the guy's pretty much held his own since he entered AEW. What was Undefeated. it two years ago? Yeah. Th- two and a half, something like that. Three. <laughs> Kicking ass. So shout out. Sting. Good shit. That's your boy. Well, and it's cool, too, because like you brought this up, but um, what a crossroads. Like two guys that like Hogan was the baby face, like Malibu, all that stuff you just described. Sting was also mm-hmm. and those dudes. Both reinvented themselves. Hogan is like this nasty Hollywood heel and Sting is this anti-hero crow. And Mm -hmm. I mean, kudos to them that they, you know, they they were kind of hitting a point where they're they were getting a little stale in their their Malibu look and they did it. I know. And it's weird because, you know, WWF was kind of like more colorful. There was so much black and white uh in wcw even though their logo was blue and yellow but their ropes yeah. were darker their rings their ring was um you know a deep navy blue so like the colors on their screen were like different i know the people who are colorblind out there well probably they could t- pick it up with the shades and stuff like that but anyway right. the ring sounded different um yeah Eric Bischoff, he said, like, whatever the WWF is doing, I want to do something completely different. And you know how hard that is to do and have the guts to do it? So I commend him for that. And um, it made wrestling better to this day by going against the grain. So fans, if there's a lesson to be learned, think outside the box and show some cojones and go forward with it. All right. So like... Steve mentioned before in like the mid nineties, like those gimmicky stuff where there, everybody had jobs and uh, there was clowns and um, there was actually a Hawaiian sumo wrestler by the name of Yoko Zuna. And he was going up against a guy who was called the narcissist at first. (laughs) And like, we were supposed to hate this guy and he would look in the mirror and actually it wasn't very popular around the locker room either because he was quite frankly, an asshole. And Lex Luger, the guy that I'm talking about, actually admitted that, yeah, I was an asshole. And people just, you know, I just didn't really care to be anybody's friend. Like, I was there to do my thing. I was, you know, I wanted to eat. I wanted to work out. I wanted to win. I wanted to make money. I don't give a fuck. But then Vince is like, yo, we, you need to be like the American hero. Like, you got the body. You, you can't look like Hulk Hogan because that's been done already. But you kind of have to be Hulk Hogan. Um, we got this big Hawaiian, uh, wrestler that comes from a family that can move. That's fast. That's like, but we're going to make him look like a sumo wrestler. So we got Japan versus USA. 
Lex, we need you to be Lex Luger. You know, like I can see the meeting and he's just like, well, how much is it going to pay? And he's probably like, you know, he's probably getting paid, but he just didn't really know all about the pressure that came with it too. Like the Lex Express, he was going all around the nation on the road in this bus. He was on radio. He was on TV. He was in the spotlight. He had to go to like hospitals and, you know, pinch little sick kids biceps and act like he cared. He didn't care. He was an asshole, but at the time, you know, you wanted to get on board with it because it was like kind of the big thing going on. Um, so yeah, that rivalry between Yokozuna and Lex Luger, can he slam them on the aircraft carrier? That was the big thing, you know, USA gung ho. Was it on like the 4th of July or Memorial day or whatever that was supposed to happen? Like some patriotic. I feel day, I like say. yeah, like the Great American Bash was it? Like yeah. the, the pay per view? Yeah, I think no, it wouldn't have been that Great American Bash because WCW is still around. So um, something. I know. Yeah, they but built it was it no, up. but yeah, July fourth, nineteen ninety three. Was it? Yeah. So I okay, so there you go on the USS Street. Intrepid. Yep, and uh, that was big news. Um, like I said, I was kind of really getting down with those A&E biographies and I watched yeah. Yokozuna's and I watched Lex Luger's Lex Luger, yep. Um, really good, really good shows. Both of them are actually very good. I mean, I watched the whole series on those A&E biographies and I just love it. I think it's great. I mean, you're going to have your favorites. You're going to have, but I think they do a really good job telling the story, but um, you know, Lex, like I said, I was talking a little shit about him. But he he admits like he was cocky. I think he really turned the corner now in his absolutely um, in his day today. Like he's actually all about you know religion and you know just trying to be a good person and redeem himself and do more. Like he like yeah he does like he, he does like wellness. He's like uh, I don't know if he still is, but for a long time at WWE he was like he'd go around and talk to schools and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it's like there's so many people we know them in our real lives, but also in wrestling even that find religion, but it almost feels like they're doing it to kind of reinvent themselves. Sure. But that dude, that dude's legit. And it's like he's he um it's like he was a dick and he admits it. He was mm-hmm. uh sort of indirectly, you know, he was he and Elizabeth were doing drugs and that's what did her in, and he he doesn't mm-hmm. shy away from that. So he's turned into a real class act, but uh which is a t- kudos to him, man. But uh, right. yeah, it's like you you said it all. Um, Vince was looking for the next Hogan and it's like Luger checked almost every box. He had that million dollar look in some ways a better body than Hogan. He was um, almost maybe the Magnum T.I. Uh, if he didn't get into the car accident, like Magnum T.I. could have been like a Lex Luger uh, prior to Hogan or something like that. But, you know, history's played out the way it is. But like there has to be that. They have to have all these it factors. He had yeah. the body. And and what Luger didn't size. have was the the attitude and the mm-hmm. but if he would have, man, if he would have had like Magnum's work ethic and like uh likability, he or probably like John would've. Cena even. Yeah, yeah. If like he would have like that, John Cena back then. If he would have checked one more box, he yep. would have done more than slam Yokozuna. He would have won that title and probably uh who knows what would have happened. Would would Bret Hart have become what he did, you know, any of that. So um mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a moment in time there that just didn't work out. Right. Yeah, the mid-90s were kind of weird back then, but I like weird. So yeah, not a rivalry that like lasted super long because then once you slam them, like 
you know, it's not like back there? in the day, yeah, where it's like a freak show where you got to pay to get in the tent to see the one-eyed man. Like when you see the one-eyed, it's kind of like the same thing. You put it yeah. on TV, you built it up, you made the bunny and the buzz, and then you're kind of seeing Lex's true colors. Like, I don't think this is the guy that can sustain this kind of right. endurance of spotlight and responsibility attached to that. So, yeah, let's kill this project and move on to something else. So speaking of moving on to something so should you do uh uh rivalry steve um you got one more for us in the tank before we jet yeah i can throw one in because i heard you guys talking about um nxt and you brought up some some exam you know in the heyday of nxt you you certainly brought up something i would have brought up um when you brought up bailey and sasha banks and uh um, yep did when you I listened, unbuckle your pants i didn't but um <laughs> that's close i was thinking about it but um but I kept it together because I'm a professional. But yeah. uh no, so you guys cover that one. There's no need for me to. But I did think of another one from that era that um was just super impactful. You guys brought up Champ Champa and um Gargano too, but um Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, because it's like mm-hmm. if anybody knew anything about the history of those di- guys. They were villains or they were opponents. They were friends. Everybody who knows them. And, and now they're still in 2023, um, you know, two of the top acts and they're, they're allies again. But um, Kevin Owens, when he was Kevin Steen, had that reputation and ring of honor being sort of like this total ruthless badass kind of didn't seem like he'd fit the WWE profile, which again, testament to him that, here we are, fast forward 2023, and he's still a top star in the WWE on the main roster. But at the time, he is a little pudgy, little, you know, little like rough around the edges. But they brought him in the NXT right around the time um, that Sami Zayn was on the rise. And um, I think it was on the same show. Um, if I'm remembering right, Kevin Owens beat in his debut match in NXT, who's the guy who's now Juice Robinson in, in AEW. And, um, they were kind of positioning uh, Owens as a, as a baby face. And then that same card, Sami Zayn won the title. And it was like the big culmination of this underdog. I mean, we all know Sami Zayn. He's still kind of playing the character now where you just have to love the guy because he's so like hardworking, lovable. And then they have this moment. Sami Zayn wins the title and everybody comes out to congratulate him. Kevin Owens comes out crying because his buddy won the title, hugging, hugging. And then they're going up the ramp together and he completely turns on him like almost seconds before they were going to air the edit credits where you think the show's over does the power bomb on the ring apron, all that. And it was like, Holy shit. The crowd just like, it was just shocking. And I mean, like when you can pull that off, like they did with Ciampa and Gargano, where you kind of didn't see it coming. If you knew Owens, you knew that he was kind of a snake in the grass, but it still was shocking. And then the brutality, Mm -hmm. And then they kept it going where like Zayn won title, but it was a short reign before Owens took it from him. And then the rest is history for Owens. But um, so that one really stood out to me in the golden era of uh, NXT is like a really well done feud. Well, and then you just saw what they just accomplished. uh, Was it this past WrestleMania or when Zayn had his magical run this last uh, year? And it should be because if you think about it, Those were like the two young Canadian stars. Then there's been a lot of Canadian stars that like come out of Canada. Like, you know, I mean, arguably Jericho, uh, that the Hart family, 
I mean, if you want to bring Kenny Omega into it right yeah, now, but Jericho I mean, and uh, all of them, yeah. But there's like a ton. But those two were like the sprouts that can, like Edge and Christian is the the two like that would come right after Jericho, I would say. And then, um, so then who do you have after that? You don't, nobody really jumps out at you, but it was these two dudes. And, uh, you know, we all have our assumptions about Canada, like, oh, they're just friendly. And like, these are two friendly people that just love wrestling and they want to be stars and they want to be, you know, do it together, just like Edge and Christian, the brothers. And then when Kevin Owens turns on Sami Zayn like that, it is like a huge shock factor. Like they totally long-term story plan that. And then, um, but they kind of went back to the well a lot with that later on when stuff got stale. It's like they use that awesome rivalry and that great storytelling earlier. And they just tried to, you know, rekindle it. But it was already, um, you know, you couldn't get a a spark like you did the initial time. Right. Each time has diminishing returns. Yeah, but they closed it out real nice by winning the tag championships together over the Usos, right? Well, that was like the big thing. Yep. Shit. I mean, the and Usos still had champs, it for says, yeah. two, three years. I know. I should pay attention back to WWE after talking about these guys to see if they're doing anything. I have no clue. But, um, yeah, I agree. Nice, Steve. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit one for me, Chara. One little tag team that I want to mention before we head out of here. I don't know like how much you wanted to want to call it a rivalry because of the amount of spots that actually happen in the ring with this tag team. Um, a lot of the rivalries, I think, get stronger with the mic work that comes with it. The in-ring stuff is great. The in-ring storytelling is great, but you need to put a lot of meat on the bone through your verbal communication to the crowd, what you want them to feel. And you can't really accomplish that with this rivalry, but they have had some incredible moments. So I wanted to bring it up as kind of like an honorable mention to cap off the show. It's the Lucha bros and the young bucks. I mean, these guys have wrestled each other in so many big moments and so many uh, great pay-per-views that AEW needed that you wanted to see. Um, I mean, these guys are just millimeters away from being paralyzed every time they go out together, it seems like. And the bigger the match, the more worried you kind of are. And I'm sure they really do get hurt. But I mean, they still do it. They've wrestled each other for seems like six, seven, eight years. I don't know the exactly. Yeah. Charlie would probably know better than us because he was a big young bucks guy. I'd like to know how long these two have been going at it. But we know like the like there's a lot of communication that needs to happen in the ring. And because these guys don't even speak very good English, Ray Phoenix and uh, Penta, um, it's still even a a better Testament. It's like they have their own language in the ring through wrestling movement and sequences in order. They don't need to speak. So that's why I think this is a pretty incredible partnership. Uh, more than kind of like a rivalry it's like you know what you're getting when these two step in or these pairings step into the ring to face each other i mean we saw a great one down in chicago at uh all out that was probably one of the best Still, matches i've ever seen in person easily. i think yeah i mean i have to really think about coming and thinking of a better match than that one because that would just had us all at the edge of our seat like yeah i don't know that may well be the best match i've ever seen in person 
And it's for all those reasons you said that, I mean, those guys almost like can like sense what it's like. They almost read minds at this point, which transcends language and everything because they've done it. And then they've just done it different ways. One team being the good guys and the other Mm -hmm. team being the bad guys. And then the match we saw, the Lucha Brothers were the good guys, I think. And like, which is old school. Like Gary brought that up, like the other like you would go from town to town being like switching who would go over on who. Um, depending on what's going on. I mean, you can't really achieve that as much when it's all on TV and stuff, but still, you're right. Sometimes it was the young bucks that, you know, were the snot-nosed kids that were too cool for school and stool, and uh, you needed the Lucha Bros to come in there and teach them some respeto. So, yeah, love those teams. Um, Yeah, this has been a great show. Uh, It's been really fun catching up with you, Steve. Uh, for our edition, Volume 2 of High Spots, we'll definitely do some more uh, down the line and stay tuned for uh, Steve and Gary's deep dive into the 80s um, as they break down every year in that generation. And I mean, we're going to have some prediction shows coming, but again, summertime, it's hard to get the full team on board and organized. But, you know, it's great. We got to keep it going just like wrestling does week after week. You got to keep the show rolling, baby. Isn't that right? That's right. And um, it's just going to be hard to go back to having those other, like I said earlier, the dead weight in the room, Um, because I think our fans would agree that this is probably one of the most well-oiled machine episodes in the history of podcasting, um, as only the Golden Lovers can bring you. Yep. A lot of oil indeed. So, all right. Well, I was just talking about the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks, and I think the hardest thing that those... Uh, that they were trying to communicate to one another is like Penta and Ray were just like, you guys, how do we, how do we, what's the best advice you could give us? Like, and how do we say it? How do we say it on the mic? And uh, I, I believe it was um, something that goes a little like this. It's stay humble, stay hungry, and stay hard. Triple H. Triple H it is indeed.